You know, last week we spent our time looking at uh, what it meant to be lost in darkness and how the darkness actually is really what makes you lost. And uh, today we're going to compare and contrast the difference that you see between a Christian and then somebody who is lost. And I want you to, to kind of see that really, really cl- clearly today. And, and the title of the message is that you, you just can't be both. You know, you, you really, you can't be both. And oftentimes we hear people talk about that in terms of something like uh, when, when you see like an athlete try to do two sports, you know, and uh, many of you may remember uh, when, I was, when I was growing up, there was quite the ad campaign that Nike put out with uh, Bo Jackson because it was like there's nothing the guy couldn't do, you know. I mean, it was just like he's going to play basketball, uh, baseball, he's going to play football, and, and late, much later Deion Sanders did kind of the same thing. And, and you think about it, that's kind of one in a million, isn't it? It's not many people that are able to kind of switch between or, or we talk about like an actress or an actor who also wants to be a singer, you know, or, or maybe vice versa. And, and, and oftentimes, I mean, it, it, it just doesn't work out great, but there's a difference. I mean, that's not like the core of, of who they are. You know, I, I faced that myself a couple of years ago, Garth Brooks called and asked if I'd go on the road and be his guitarist. And I'm going to tell you, it was hard to say no, but I did. Cause I just knew I couldn't, I couldn't be both pastor you know, I used to tell my kids all the time, I'd say, one of these days I'm going to blow this clip joint that's called the church. I'm done pastoring, and I'm going on the road with the band. And I'll never forget, Hampton probably wasn't maybe five or six, and he said, we're going to starve. <laughs> there you go. But that's not the core of who you are, right? I mean, that's, that's a function that you do to be an actor, singer, or baseball player, football. But that's not the core of who you are. You really, you can't change the core of who you are to be both something. And I think there's a lot of confusion in the church today about this. And it's funny because I I don't think we're any better off than they were in the first century. As Paul is writing to a church saying, you're not going to be able to live in the duality of the old life and the new life. It it doesn't work that way. You can't straddle the fence here, folks. You're going to have to live one way or the other. It's not possible for you to continue living as both. And I think we struggle to understand the new life a lot of times in the church today because what we think that it really is is a profession of faith and that's it. As long as I profess my faith in Christ, then the the actions of my life, they, they really don't have to change that much and they don't have to conform in a new way. But that's exactly what the apostles have been writing to us about. As last week he said, you can't live in this darkness of lostness. Now you remember that last week he said that there was this progression that happens. You have people with hard hearts that makes them ignorant to the things of God. It darkens their understanding. And then they're finally excluded from the things of God. And he said the result of that is really interesting. They get these callous hearts. And if you remember, it it said that it led to promiscuity and purity, and then finally a greediness to have more of that stuff in their lives. It's an insatiable appetite. Now, one thing that I I realized that probably happened last week is I probably didn't stop and define for us what it meant to live an immoral life. And I, I loved it this week. We had a conference here this week. And I heard one of the simplest definitions of biblical morality when it comes to sexual ethics. And I'm going to give it to you because if you get this definition, it just absolutely excludes all others. 
Anything sexually that's happening outside of a man and a woman who are married is outside of God's will. That's it. It's that simple. So you can kind of try to parse it and be like, well, what about this? Or what about my situation? Your situation is not different than anybody else's. Man, woman, married, that's it. Anything outside of that. So if, if I'm a man and a woman and I'm, I'm engaging in something that's before I'm married or while I'm married, stepping outside of my, any of that, any other way that the culture wants to, to kind of parse that out. He said, that's what happens. It leads to that immorality. And when that immorality happens, you just can't get enough. You just become greedy for it. You want more and more and more. So when we talk about that today, and we see that that's what happens when we're lost, let's see what God's word says for us who have come to know Christ. I want you to turn to Ephesians 4, and we're going to read verses 20 through 24 today. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted, by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So when we talk about this this morning, I want you to see that he begins with this kind of statement that's immediately a compare and contrast statement. And then he's gonna give us three things that as believers we must do if we're in Christ. It's, it's, it sounds like it should be more complicated than that, but the complication is that it's hard to do it, right? I mean, it's, it's hard for us to do it because of some reasons we'll get into in just a moment. But did you see he immediately started verse 20 with this but, and that conjunction is showing a compare and a contrast to something, but that is not how you came to know Christ, and he's saying this is how the lost world used to live. They lived in immorality and impurity and they can't get enough of it and they become callous in their hearts to the things of God and they pursue things like that. He says, but that's not for us. There has to be this difference. And the difference for us really is the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because before we come to know Christ, we're just walking according to the world. We're walking a, according to, to what the world might say is in today. And we, and we well know the, those moral uh, kind of uh, terms that the world uses and, and, and the things that they tell us are okay today, they're going to change and it'll be different tomorrow. It'll be different in a few months. And what we see is for us, the difference is the Lordship of Christ because it changes Everything, and I want you to see this in verse 21. This is important. He says, assuming, he says, I'm assuming you heard about him, who Christ, and you were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. You came to know Christ, and I assume you heard about him and were taught by him. Now, when he says this, taught by him or, or you were taught in him, and maybe other translations might use, probably a little bit easier for us to understand, taught by Christ. He's not saying the Ephesian church knew Christ. They heard about him and they had been taught into Christ. They had been taught by the things of Christ is what he's saying because why? Jesus is the truth. Did you catch that at the, at the very end of that, assuming you were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus? Jesus is the truth. So when we say that we were taught by the truth, it makes sense for us because of what Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, that famous verse that we often quote. When, we, when he says this to this church, he's saying, 
but you're not to walk that way anymore because you have seen the truth. It's one thing to be ignorant. Ignorant just means without knowledge, right? I mean, I, I don't know if anyone's ever called you ignorant. It sounds terrible when they do, doesn't it? I mean, if somebody just says you're ignorant. You ever play that little Cracker Barrel game? The little... I'm pretty sure there's a... Like, if you leave four or more, it says you're an ignoramus, right? I mean, it basically says you have no hope, right? But to be ignorant just means to be without knowledge. Now, do you understand that what he says is that before we came to Christ, we were without knowledge. We, we were groping around in the dark, doing the best that we could, but we, we couldn't see it because we were in the darkness. And that's what lostness really is. It's being ignorant of the things of Christ. But for those of us who are in Christ... Now we don't have that excuse because he's saying, I assume that you came to know Christ and you were taught in Christ or the things of Christ because Jesus is the truth. For us, we have Jesus. And what we see in Jesus, we need in us. When I look at the Savior and I watch how he lived, that's what I need, right? That's what you need. When I look at how Jesus interacted with, with people, that, that's what I need. That, that's what you need. As we, as we look at that and we see his character and we see his person, that's what we need because that's the perfect example that we have. And so if we look at Christ, we can see the truth. And that makes the difference because everybody's searching around. Everybody's looking for things. And, and people talk about this all the time. They, self-discovery, self-discovery. It won't get there. Discovering more bad stuff about yourself doesn't excuse the bad stuff you've already done. It doesn't work. What we need is something outside of ourselves, you know? It's like if, if you want to learn a skill, do you go look at somebody that has no ability or do you want to see the person who really understands how to do it? You want to watch the person who really understands how to do it, right? It becomes very important, especially if you're trying to learn some kind of fine motor skill. You want to know the tricks and, and the tips. I mean, there's a difference, isn't there? Dennis is over here. If, if you wanted to learn how to piano, you want to come learn it from me, you want to come learn from Dennis. Probably Dennis. I can play chopsticks. But Dennis uses all 10 of his fingers, right? There's a difference, you look for that person that's the expert. Well, we have that. It's outside of ourselves. It's in Christ. And so when we look to Jesus as the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, then this becomes very important. Now, how are you going to be taught into Christ? Well, you're only taught into Christ through the Scripture. So much of the problems that are ailing the church today is that they have set aside the Scripture and said, well, I mean, it's a good story, Jesus is a great person, but I mean, do I really need to know all of this? Well, Jesus needed to know all of it because he had to keep the whole law so that you could be forgiven of your sins. He knew it all. He was in there, and the scriptures just keep pointing us to Jesus. So if you want your life to look like Jesus, it's, it's verse by verse, reading the scripture, memorizing the scripture, applying the scripture to your lives, just going through that over and over and over again. That's why we appeal every Sunday morning to a higher authority in here than the pastor. It's the scripture. It's God's revealed word given to us. And this becomes the roadmap for us to look like Jesus. Now Paul says, if you understand that, that's how you came to Christ, then here are the three things that you really need to do 
once you come to Christ. He's going to tell us that we need to put off something, we need to be renewed in our minds, and we need to put on something. Put off, be renewed, put on. Very simple this morning, put off. Look at verse 22. It it says it like this. It, It says that you need to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Now, what that means is to take something off is, is literally, he's saying to put it off is to lay it aside. And, and when he says lay it aside, he doesn't mean like hang it in the closet and get ready to pull it out when fall comes around. It's not like that. It's not something, he's saying lay it aside, not to be used anymore. It's, it's to be set aside, not to be used anymore. Now, this becomes very difficult for us because what he's saying is put off the old self. And the old self feels very natural to all of us because we've lived in the old self and we battle the old self because it's our flesh. It's exactly how we lived our lives before we came to know Christ. So when he says you need to set that aside, understand that he's not being flippant about it. We're going to get to that in a second. What he's saying is you've got to lay it aside. And what I'm telling you is that's hard to do. But it becomes very important. Does this sound at all to you like Romans chapter 12, verse 1? It should. Therefore, brothers, sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God, right? When when he gets to that and he's saying that for us, what he's saying right there is you put off something and then you put on something else. And the problem for us really is these deceitful desires. Do you remember that we talked about the old man last week? We said the old man is easily swayed away by the darkness and, and ignorant of the things of God, doesn't understand things, becomes callous those deceitful desires they don't run away from us do they they stay right with us the deceitful desires are always knocking at the door why is that because the heart is deceitful above all else your heart is deceitful I get nervous when people say follow your heart well if your heart is deceitful that could end up really interesting right it could be, and I know what we mean by it. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously kind of poking at it, but I know what we mean by it, right? Follow your passions, those kind of things. But maybe what we ought to be telling our children and grandchildren and the people in the church around us is not just to follow our heart, but to follow the Lord. Because desires can be deceitful. Desires can look like they're very appealing and can take us down a road we don't need to be on. And what he's saying here is that we have to constantly drag ourselves up onto the altar to be consumed again, giving our lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And as we do that, we have to just be careful over and over again because you know what happens? Fashion comes around again and again. I thought the day of the mullet was gone. It's back, baby. If I had hair, you watch out. It'd be 1993 all over again. You know what I'm saying? It's back. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, you know, the fact that clothes got uh, thinner and now they're becoming baggy again. He's not talking about that. He's saying it's not something that comes around in and out. Take it off. Lay it aside. And when you do that, you renew something. I want you to see what he says in verse 23. He says, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I want to read that Romans passage one more time, particularly verse 2. 
Because when it says that we drag ourselves back up onto this altar to be consumed again, it says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern what is the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. It's deceitful desires, but the good and pleasing, perfect will of God only comes to us through the renewing of our minds. So Paul says that we have to be renewed. And if we're renewing our minds, you understand that that takes work, doesn't it? It takes a lot of work. It's not something that you get to stop. It doesn't happen at salvation, by the way. I know that we'd love to think, once I get saved, woo. The work is over. Nope, Jesus did that work. Now your work begins, right? I mean, Jesus did the work of salvation in your life. Now the work of renewing your minds begins. And we do that through the scripture by constantly bringing ourselves before the scripture and asking God to shape us into the image of Jesus. That's how we learn what we need to do. And we can't approach this haphazardly or, or we'll end up trying to be both in the world and in Christ, trying to straddle that fence. You know, what, what happens is if we don't renew our minds, those deceitful desires, even to a Christian, can carry us away and lead us to a place we don't need to be. We'll start to say, well, that's okay. I don't think God would be bothered by that. Well, do you know? Well, no. How would I know? Well, you have to renew your minds. You have to go before the Scripture and let the Scripture speak to you. Do you know that if you just do a quick search of the word mind in the scripture. There's some fascinating verses that, that come to bear. I just want to read a few of these for you. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What do you think about all day? If you're not actively engaged in your mind, it's thinking about something, right? It's leading you somewhere. What are you thinking about? Listen to this, Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Are you struggling with peace this morning? Is your mind stayed upon the Lord? That's a renewal process. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your, dis when your obedience is complete. He's saying again that to be able to think about these things, very important. Because the battle is in the mind. It starts here. It's not in the heart. 2 Timothy 1.7, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and self-control over fear. It's in the mind. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In the Old Testament, the heart the seat of the emotions, the bowels sometimes called the seat of the emotions in the Old Testament. Interchangeably used as we often talk about the mind or your heart. We talk about it here. He says, you have to keep it, watch it. James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 2 Corinthians 10.5, 10, we need to destroy those lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. As you see these things, you begin to understand that so much of what we're dealing with is in the mind. And for us to be renewed, it starts in the mind. Well, how do I get my mind renewed? Well, if you're never thinking about the things of Christ, your mind's never renewed. Ever. Won't happen. Because your mind's thinking about something all day. 
My mind was running a thousand miles an hour yesterday. Was yours? I mean, I, I was struggling just to, just to run through the day, get through the day, check off the list, all those kinds of things. I mean, it's, it's very easy to not realize that the mind is, is not passively engaged, it's actively engaged in something, and we're told that it needs to be on Jesus. Let our spirit of our minds be renewed. You know, when you think about this, this teaches you what to wear. If Paul's saying, take off something, and he's saying, put on something, have you ever worn something that, in context, felt wildly inappropriate? You've done it, because some of you laughed. You've shown up at what should have been, in your mind, was going to be a barbecue supper, and you didn't realize it was a corporate event where the boss was going to be there, and you were wearing jeggings. Awkward, right? Difficult. Or maybe you showed up, and and you didn't realize it was family picture day and you wore your cut-off blue jean shorts, guys. You should never wear those. I'm just going to help you with that. You go throw, throw those away. <laughs> you don't know what to wear, right? It's difficult sometimes. You know, I don't like it when I don't know what to wear. I don't like it when somebody says, hey, come over to our house and, you know, it's going to be, and they don't exactly explain what's happening. Are we in the backyard or are we in the house? Is it going to be cold? Is it going to be hot? Are we swimming? Nothing like showing up wearing a swimsuit and nobody else is swimming. Right? Renewing your mind is like taking the old garbage out of your closet and laying it aside and filling it back up with appropriate clothing for yourself so that you know what to wear. And that's what he tells us to do. Take off the old stuff. And I want you to notice this. Before he told you to put on the new stuff, he said, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Don't just, don't just haphazardly take off the old stuff and think that you've gotten all the old stuff out of the closet. You know, like, oh, great, I got it. I'm a new person in Christ. The old passed away. Throw that away. I'm just going to go grab something else and put it on. No, don't just grab anything else and put it on. Renew your mind. Let the Lord do that in your lives. And he says, as you do that, then you put on something. Look at verse 24. You're to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Maybe your Bible there says holiness, righteousness and holiness there. When you think about putting it on, you renew your mind so you know what to wear. It's interesting what he says. He says the old is passing away. That old person's gone. Put on the new. The new self. And notice that he modified it there and gave you a little adjective, uh, kind of a, a statement that kind of gives you a modifying statement, I guess is what we should say. The one created. The new self. The one created. It's very specific, according to God's likeness. What's the likeness of God? It's Christ. And when you think about that, and it talks about putting on the new self, the one created. In Genesis, we're told that God created us, male and female, in the image of God, that you're an image bearer. And what happened is that sin tarnished that and broke that. 
And now we're being told that that broken self that we carry around, that we don't have to do that anymore. And we lay that aside and put on the new self that was created for us in Christ. This is really powerful stuff from the scripture for us to think about all the time. Because what it means is that my yesterdays are actually not predictor of my tomorrows. People say all the time, you know, people don't change. It's not true. People who meet Christ change. People who meet Christ change because the old self passes away and the new self is put on. And they're not the same person anymore. And we're going to see next week some very specific things in terms of our conduct and our speech that change when we come to know Christ. But, but these things change and you're not the same person. And you don't have to think about being the old person anymore. I often hear people apologize for who they were as if it's who they are. But that's not actually accurate anymore. Because the old man, the old woman passes away. Put that away. Lay it aside. It's gone. And all things have been made new. Pick that up. Put it on. And as you do, he tells us that we're to live in this new self, the one that was created for us in God's likeness as we reflect who Christ is. These words at the very end, he says, in righteousness and purity of the truth, or righteousness and holiness. And as he says that, you think about it like this. It's what one one scholar described as, as righteousness is our relationship towards God and holiness. I'm sorry, righteousness, our relationship towards man and holiness, our relationship towards God. And so what he's saying is the new self changes everything, doesn't it? Because now I'm able to live in rightness in my relational work with other people. It's not broken in fellowship anymore because I'm living the right way. Selfishness gone. Taking gone, now I'm, I'm living according to Christ's likeness. When I live according to Christ's likeness, all of a sudden I'm living with other people in mind. It's others focused, right? I mean, it changes everything. And then I'm living in holiness to God. So as we think about these things, I, I want to just say this to us as a church. This becomes very important for us because if we try to straddle in both worlds, what we end up with It's a lot of inner tension and turmoil, and a lot of times we don't know why. So you'll hear believers say like this, I'm doubting my salvation. Hmm. Why? Well, I don't know. Sometimes it's because they have one foot in the world and and one foot in with Jesus, right? And that tension is pulling, and it's just back and forth. It's like, oh, and you're not meant to live that way. It's like a kid trying to wear two coats. It doesn't work. It's hard right? It gets uncomfortable. When we're living in the, the new self, Paul says that, that used to be how you lived, but this is how you live now. And in that there's great freedom because I'm no longer encumbered. Now here's the trick, and this is tough. It's really hard to get rid of that old flannel shirt that feels so good. You've been wearing it for so long, but it's got holes in it and it's missing buttons and stuff. And your spouse comes to you and says, that's got to go. But I love it. It's my shirt. It's so comfortable. I've had this for 20 years. And somebody looks at you and goes, we know. You know? I mean, it's obvious. And things, it's tatters. It's, t- it's time for that to go. We're going to have to go get a new shirt. 
and I'll wash it a few times so it feels good and all that. But we got to put off the old, put on the new. It's hard because this is how we've lived. And at any point, we can give in to the deceitful desires and go right back to it. I mean, that's, that's the trick, right, that, that's so hard for us is that we can find ourselves living just like we did. And sometimes it feels so normal to us, we don't even recognize it. And we can make excuses and say, well, this is just how I am. Well, it's not how you are. It's how you were. But now you've been made new in Christ and you have the opportunity to live according to the new self that was created for you to live in the likeness of God. When the church does that, it's amazing how the church flourishes. When you do that, it's amazing how you flourish in your life because now you're living according to who you really are. You know what they tell us about personality tests and these kind of things and why they're so important? Uh, they, they tell us why they're so important because partic- particularly if you, if, you don't, if you don't do this and you, you work at a place where you manage people, this is, this, would, this is just free today, helpful to you. You ought to give every employee that you're about to hire a, a little personality test and find out about who they are. Because what we have discovered and what, what these experts tell us, right, is that somebody can kind of work outside of their giftedness for about six months till they revert back to who they really are. It's, it's an amazing thing. Hey, I know you're not a manager. We need you to manage this section. And they'll kind of, kind of get strong and do it for about six months, and most of the time they'll crash and burn after that because they go back to the way they were. It's, it's very difficult. So for us, if we are new in Christ, to go back to who we were is now not who we are, and it creates this tension in our lives. And I tell you, it's like one of my youth pastors told me when I was growing up. He said, when you're straddling the fence, you're getting shot from both sides. It's not fun, man. It is difficult. We weren't meant to live that way. We have to yield what feels natural and move into sometimes a a new coat that may not feel as normal or as natural as the old one felt, but really... That's just submission to the will of God so that we can live in Christ's likeness. Can I challenge you today as a church, number one, to live in Christ's likeness? To be aware of the deceitful desires, to, to just put your life before the scripture today. And before you go telling somebody, well, God doesn't really care about that, you better know. You better spend time with the scripture Let your mind be renewed. That way you know what to put on, what to take off. The old needs to pass away and the new needs to come on. And maybe after last week and this week, the truth of it is you'd say, I don't know uh, which, which side of the fence I'm on. I don't know, Pastor. I'm not I'm not certain. I'm, I'm honestly not certain. I feel like maybe I'm, I'm lost or I think I might be saved. And I just want to tell you that the way that the apostle's writing this for us is really to leave no doubt because it's not something that you're supposed to just kind of be wavering back and forth on. That's, that's not how it works. Uh, it doesn't work that way for us. We're going to be studying that this Wednesday night in our grow group. That famous passage from Kings where where the prophet Elijah says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If the Baals are God, serve them. A lot of times we find ourselves there. And can I ask you, that's not a fun place to be. 
if you don't know that there's been a time in your life where you've received the forgiveness of your sins and you've been transformed, you've been saved, why, why wouldn't you do that today? Why wouldn't you give your life to Christ today? Why wouldn't you just come to that place where you just say, Pastor, I, I'm ready today to put that aside. I want to put it to bed. I want to put it to rest. I'm taking the old off. I want to walk in newness that Christ has created for me. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I stand under the judgment of God and Christ is the only way that I can be saved. And I want to place my faith in Christ to save me and let him transform my life. Why wouldn't you do that today? Don't waver anymore between two opinions. And if you're a believer this morning and you just find yourself looking over at that old coat, you want to pick it back up, don't do it. Walk in the new life that Christ has given you. It's created for you by his work on the cross. I want to ask you to bow your heads and pray. We're going to spend just a moment in kind of a, a contemplative state of reflection here because I really do want you as a believer to do business with the Lord, but as a person who'd say, I'm not sure. Can I ask you just to, to think about those things for just a second with me? Would you just do a little business with the Lord today? Is there a part of your life that just needs to be taken off? And laid aside. How's God speaking to you this morning? Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, we recognize this battle in our spirits today. And for some of us, it's because our minds haven't been renewed. We've set your word aside and, and picked up on what the culture said and just have run with it and thought things were good because we've known you in the past. You've saved us, certainly. But, Father, we've been walking according to the spirit of the age and the deceitful desires of our hearts that truthfully carried us, carried us away. Would you forgive us, Lord? And, Father, some of us this morning perhaps have not yet met you. We've never been saved. Father, our prayer this morning is that you would save that person. Holy Spirit, would you do your work today? Convicting. And Jesus May you be made abundantly clear in their lives today to be saved. God, you have been so good to us. We want to walk with renewed minds, living in our new selves, according to your likeness. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.